our precious Heavenly Father, we bow our hearts and our heads before You today. And I pray that that the attitudes of our hearts would be one of humility before You and submission before You and Your Word today and always as we come together to open the Word, to study together, to be encouraged and also challenged, often corrected, that we would take Your instruction willingly, eagerly, with a heart and mind that is completely open and obedient to You, ready to take action out of a desire to be giving You all the glory and all the praise and all that we do and being pleasing to You as people and as a church. God, I pray, instruct us today from the wisdom of Your Word with the power of Your Spirit at work in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3, would you? 2 Timothy 3. <clears throat> Second Timothy chapter 3, we began several weeks ago seeing Paul address Timothy with how to face false teaching, how to face those who are false teachers in the latter half of Second Timothy chapter 2. We noted especially together last time how Paul instructed Timothy to be patient with those who sometimes need correcting. Sometimes that's us. Sometimes we need correcting, right? Sometimes we need to learn how to be patient with others as they try to help us and encourage us. But we also need to be patient with others as we try to point them to the truth. There, there ought to be a measure of loving, brotherly, sisterly in the Lord kind of correction going on at all times in this fellowship. You know, we're going to come back to this idea tonight and when we come back to the the book of Proverbs, we've been studying in Proverbs for several weeks now on Sunday evenings, and tonight we come to the topic of friendship. And the point I'm going to make tonight is that that real friendship is not ignoring the flaws in your brother or sister in Christ. Real friendship comes alongside and, and tries to help them along and encourage them in the right direction. That's a real friend. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, said the Proverbs. Helpful and healing are the wounds of a friend. And sometimes friends wound each other with their words in a way that's good. We take it hard sometimes when people come along and correct us, right? Sometimes it's, it's wounding, it's hurtful because our feelings are hurt. And emotionally it's hard to take when we're corrected, but we need, to, we need to be corrected at times. We saw that last week when we talked about loving correction, learning how to lovingly correct those who need correction. Well, first and foremost, we know that we have to examine our own hearts, don't we? Because we aren't, we aren't really ever beyond needing correction ourselves. As long as we're on planet Earth, as long as we're still here, we still sin, don't we? And we still need encouragement and correction in the right direction. We've been seeing that. We saw that especially last week. This morning, we're going to come to chapter 3, and we kind of see Paul turning a corner a bit, kind of changing directions just slightly here. He's continuing with the warning about false teaching. He isn't changing course in that way. He's still talking about those who teach false doctrine or false truth and those who are false preachers and even false believers. And remember, he told Timothy, be a vessel of honor, 
The church ought to be filled with believers who are vessels for honorable use, that is, people who are striving to be pure and holy and righteous before God so that He can use us for His glory. And those vessels for honorable use are to be patient with people whom they're trying to bring along and themselves, they're trying to help them be vessels for honorable use. But there's kind of a change in directions we see here in chapter 3. In three, in chapter 3, the tone changes a bit. And yes, the church is to be filled with individuals who are, are, are used by God for building others up and for glorifying God in the way that they spread the gospel and tell the truth about the Lord Jesus Christ and help people see their need for, for forgiveness of sins and saving through the Lord Jesus Christ. But there are also times, like we see in chapter 3, he says there are going to be times, when we look at chapter 3, we're going to see this, there are going to be times when, when you come across those who are teaching falsehoods, when you come across false teaching, you're going to come across someone who is a spiritual fraud, someone who is a false preacher, or even a false Christian, and our duty is going to be to avoid them. Let's look together at the first nine or first five verses to get an idea of where we're going to be for the next couple of weeks. You can see a change in direction here with the beginning of verse one in chapter three. But understand this, writes Paul to Timothy, but understand this that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. Now, does reading a passage like that surprise you? Does reading a passage like that surprise you? Are you are you one of those people who thinks that things should get easier and better as we await for the Lord? Sometimes I think we think that way. Sometimes we talk the way we talk kind of reveals that we think. At least in the way we show displeasure with things, at times we, we we're disappointed that things aren't better. We're disappointed that more people aren't following Christ. We're disappointed when when we see religious institutions and those who claim to be churches depart from the gospel and don't preach the truth of the word. We're disappointed, and we should be disappointed. Don't get me wrong. But sometimes our language, the way that we talk, would betray us in that we think things should be getting better and better for the church and easier for us. That isn't the case. Sometimes we think that you know, everyone should love and agree with Christians, right? We show disappointment when, when people oppose Christianity and oppose people who are trying to spread the gospel, but that shouldn't surprise us, should it? If you're a reader of the New Testament, you're going to know that there are warning upon warning that, that challenge us to be prepared for hardship, like the verse we just read in, in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1. If you think things are supposed to get easier for Christians before the return of Christ, then this passage is going to be a wake-up call for you, Right? John MacArthur writes regarding this passage we just read about how we ought not be surprised by the challenges against the truth that the church is going to continue to face. He says, The full counsel of God has been displeasing, unacceptable, and even repugnant 
the self-centered, self-serving, and worldly mankind throughout the ages. But even in the professing church today, there is greater confusion, apostasy, moral decay, and tolerance for things that are clearly unscriptural than ever before. Sermons on current issues, selectively using Bible passages that are relevant and positive, are attracting many hearers, including genuine but misled and worldly believers. The time will come, Paul writes later in this epistle, when many in the church will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. Well, we see that all over America today. It's true of the world. People are heaping on themselves those who will preach things that will just make them feel good. And we're talking about surface issues denying the truth of the gospel and the need to preach, I think, verse by verse through the Scriptures. We need God's Word. God gave us a book of truth that we need to adhere to and teach and encourage each other with. And when we start, as MacArthur says, we start preaching things that are relevant or merely positive. I'd love to preach things that are positive. I like to encourage people. You know, we're, we're trekking through Second Timothy here, and some of the things we're finding here aren't very positive, are they? And sometimes they might, they might cause us to go, oh boy, this is tough, this is heavy. Well, yeah, you know what? For the church today, in the world in which we live, this is a heavy time. This is a difficult time. Because there are churches all over the place, and I, I even hesitate to use the name church for a place that denies the truth of the gospel and goes away from the gospel. Even makes light of the very clear truths of scriptures. And it, and, and admonishes and corrects people who want to teach and preach the gospel and want to hear biblical preaching. It's, it's, it's not so far from home. It's not so far from home. It's close to us. It's not like we're far removed from this. We shouldn't be surprised by the challenges that the church faces today with so much false teaching because we've been reminded, we've been warned many times of false teachers in the Scriptures. Just as Paul warns Timothy here at the beginning of chapter 3, the warning is sounded again and again throughout the New Testament that the church must guard itself against imposters. We can also expect things to get worse. I don't mean to be a downer this morning, but I'm trying to encourage and challenge you to be strong believers because we can expect things as we, as we draw closer and closer to the Lord's return. And I'm, I'm not suggesting I know when that is, but as we await the Lord's return, and we await the rapture of God's church. I know we want things to get better, but we've got warning in the Word that things are going to get worse. We can expect things to get worse. That's, that's why... We can never look forward to a day when we can just, you know, kind of take it easy. We don't have to preach the gospel anymore. Let's just have a social organization where we just enjoy our, each other's company and fellowship and just say things that make each other feel good. We can never really rest on our laurels, so to speak, and sit on our hands, so to speak, and say, well, you don't need to be too worried about the truth anymore. Actually, we got to be more worried and more concerned. I don't mean worried in a bad way, but we should be more concerned about explaining the basic and simple truths of the gospel today than we ever have been before. We ought to be more concerned with making sure that we clearly communicate the love of Jesus Christ for people who are dying and going to hell than at any time in the history of the church. Paul warns Timothy 
that there are going to be days when things get worse and things are going to get worse as we await the Lord's return. Because, and I, and I mean worse in the sense that there are going to be more and more false teachers, more and more false preachers, and more and more false believers because of those false preachers than there ever have been before. Paul warns Timothy of this in verse 1. Look at it with me. that We can expect those in the church age, and that's us, to face difficult days. Verse 1, again, but understand this. You know he's changing direction here because he says, but... <laughs> But understand this, that in the last days, there will be times of difficulty. That's not his own only statement like that. He makes an even stronger statement in verses 12 and 13. Look at them with me. In verses 12 and 13, he says that those in the church can expect things to get worse before they see Christ. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people... And imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Unless you think Paul was alone in sounding this alarm, he was not. Paul was not alone in warning the church to be on guard against spiritual imposters. Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 24 warned that many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. Verse 11. Peter also warned of this, saying in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1-3, through 3, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Peter wasn't alone either. Jesus wasn't alone either. John also warned believers, as did Paul on other occasions, to be on guard against spiritual imposters. So what are we to do? What are we to do? Well, if you've been around a while, you know that we don't just leave a question hanging, right? We have an answer. What are we to do? Thank goodness, that's why we have God's Word. We have an answer. So what are we to do since we know we can expect more challenges to the truth and not fewer as we, as we grow closer and closer to the return of Christ? What should we do? The answer to that question is at the end of verse 5 where Paul says, Avoid such people. Avoid such people. Now, before we go any further, I I think it's important to define who Paul is talking about here. Because I do not want you to misunderstand this. This is very important. I think the context of the passage that we're looking at this morning certainly describes, and you could say, as we look at those passages, this describes unbelievers. You're right, it does. This does. This describes unbelievers. And when we talk about spiritual imposters, false teachers, false preachers, and false believers, we're talking about unbelievers, aren't we? Someone who would actually take the Scripture and twist it to say what they want, they don't believe in the authority of Scripture. They can't be believers if they're going to deny the authority of Scripture and the power of God's Word. They can't be. You look at someone who denies the Scriptures, how could they be a follower of Christ and deny God's Word, the very thing He gave us to instruct us and help us? And so as you look at this passage, you're saying, you might be thinking, well, we're talking about the world here. Wait a minute. The context of the passage we're looking at this morning certainly describes the kinds of things that we see in the world. Because this is descriptive of unbelievers, but it's not referring to those in the world in general. 
Paul's not talking here about staying away from unbelievers to whom we are to be taking the gospel. We must take the gospel to people who are lost. It's one of the reasons we're having Vacation Bible School this week. Because we're opening the doors of the church trying to encourage as many parents as possible to bring their young children so that we might begin to give them a, a direction to the truth of the Word of God. I can't tell you how many people I've met in my lifetime, as short as it's been, who have who were, who were saved or heard the gospel first in vacation Bible school. What a privilege for us as followers of Christ. That ought to be just one way we spread the gospel. You know, you can invite your, your neighbors and your friends to come and hear the gospel preached, but that should just be one way that we share the gospel. I challenge you almost every Sunday, now go live it, right? Take the Word and now go live what we just preached and, and, and learn from God's Word and go live it because your life is to be sharing the gospel. Your life and your lips can do that. Your witness, your testimony, and your opportunity to share the gospel. God will give those to you if you will humble him, yourself before Him. And so I, I want to make it very clear. Yes, we are to be reaching out to the lost in this community and further, and we are. There's lots of room for improvement, though, too. And we ought to grow in this area of evangelism, sharing the, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ with, with lost people. But the world in general, I don't think that's who Paul is talking about here. The kinds of people we should avoid being involved with are those who are spiritual imposters. Those who falsely represent God. And I think that's how we should understand the passage, especially since Paul says, look at verse 5, that they have an appearance of godliness. They look religious, but as Warren Wearsby puts it, quote, these people operate under the guise of religion, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. They are religious, but rebellious. And so, I think we can be pretty certain that Paul isn't talking about the world in general here. The world des desperately needs to hear the truth of the gospel. And we must be taking the life-saving, life-changing gospel to them. But he is pointing to those who we are to avoid, those who put on a spiritual mask and the fruit of their teaching, the fruit of their conduct makes it evident that they are teaching a false gospel and denying the true gospel. It's a big challenge to us. God's Word has help for us. Let's keep looking. So how do we recognize these kinds of individuals and how, how do we recognize these kinds of institutions? Paul lists... He lists for us about 18 characteristics here, and, and, and he probably could have listed more. But look at this passage here. Look again at verses 2 through 4. Would you look at them with me? And did you notice as I read those, especially verses 2 through 4, how many times the form of the word love was used? And do you see where the emphasis of love is placed? What kind of love is it? Do you see it? I hear, I hear some of you saying it. Self-love, right? Self-love. It's love of self, and it's shown in many forms. If you look at these descriptors here, these, these words of description for those who are spiritual imposters, almost every one of these is a description of some sort of self-love. Look at those. And Paul says to Timothy, and he says to the church, brace yourself, 
verse 1, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, and here's why there will be times of difficulty beginning in verse 2, because there will be the following kinds of people who are passing themselves off as religious teachers who will do great harm, verse 2, for people will be lovers of self. It doesn't get any clearer than that. We're we're talking about self-love here. That people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, and yes, as you look at those, these are kinds of the kinds of things that are true of unbelievers in general, but what's so dangerous about these false teachers is that characteristic of those who put on the mask of spirituality but in fact deny the power of Jesus Christ, deny the power of the gospel to save sinners, is that they are lovers of self. At the very root of all that they do is they are lovers of self. And what happens to those who can only be concerned with their own comfort is that they become lovers of what? Look at it. In verse 2, they become what's next? They become lovers of money. In its simplest form, they become greedy, right? Lovers of money. And in the process, they become proud, they become arrogant, even resort to being abusive of others in speech and conduct. And we can even see how this misplaced love of, of, uh, of self affects the family because it says here that they become disobedient to parents. And so you see it influencing the family. Children being disobedient to parents and everyone, everyone becomes ungrateful. Everyone becomes ungodly. But I challenge you, we shouldn't be surprised by this. This is the kind of thing that happens when self-love manifests itself in so many ways as we just see, see described here, quoting Warren Wearsby again. He notes, in the universe there is God and there are people and things and we should... Worship God and love people and use things. But if we start worshiping ourselves, we will ignore God and start loving things and using people. Kind of a profound statement, isn't it? It's very true. He says this is the formula for a miserable life. And yet it's characteristic, it characterizes many people today. The worldwide craving for things is just one evidence that people's hearts have turned away from God. And Paul goes on in verse 3 to say that these spiritual imposters will be heartless. They won't lack a love for themselves at all, but they certainly will lack a genuine love for others. They'll also be unappeasable, meaning they'll refuse to be at peace with you, refusing to yield in any way, insisting that they have their own way. Unappeasable. They'll also become slanderous. So when you don't let them have their own way, they start tearing you apart, tearing others apart, tearing others down as they defend their own position and teaching. Also in verse 3, we see these kinds of individuals who have the appearance of godliness. That They have this appearance of godliness, but they lack self-control. They're also going to be brutal when confronted or they don't get their own way and They're going to have no love for what is good. In fact, they'll despise what is righteous. They're going to tear down those who pursue righteousness and Christ-likeness. And as Paul goes on in verse 4, we're going to discover that these kinds of individuals who are religious and yet rebellious at heart and truth, they're going to be rebellious to the truth. They're going to be characterized by their treacherousness, their own treacherous and, and reckless behavior, 
and they're going to be swollen with conceit or, or puffed up with their own opinion of themselves. That's swollen with conceit. They're going to be living completely for their own pleasure, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And in that statement, that, that lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, in that statement at the end of verse 4, the problem is really all summed up for us, isn't it? Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. You know that having a love for God that is appropriately placed will bring you great pleasure? There's great satisfaction. There is great joy in, in loving God, heart, soul, mind, and strength. You know what will happen is when you do that, when you do love God that way, you begin to love others the way you should. And instead of using others, you begin to ask God to use you to encourage others and show His love to them. And God, through His work in you, when you humble yourself before Him, brings great pleasure. But we see just the opposite with imposter, these, uh, these spiritual imposters. They become lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And this is what happens when religious people put their own pleasure above loving God and loving people. Verse 5 says they have the appearance of godliness. They'll put on a form of godliness. They'll put on something that looks like spirituality, but they deny the very power of the gospel. They deny the very power of the life-changing message of the Lord Jesus Christ. They deny the very power of the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross for your sins and my sins. They deny the very power of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. But they have an appearance of godliness. They have an appearance of spirituality. Having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. And the answer to those whom you find in that condition is to avoid them. And we know because of the many warnings that things will continue to be increasingly challenging for the church as we await the return of Christ. So Paul says, avoid such individuals, avoid such institutions. We've got to be faithful stewards of the Word. This is not an easy passage we come to and we say, oh, this will be a joy to fulfill and, and obey. And This is going to be a challenge to us. It's going to be a challenge to us to, to know God's Word and keep our eyes spiritually open to the truth so that when we see things that look spiritual, that look like they have some kind of religion, that we can discern whether that's a true gospel or not, whether these individuals are really preaching the truth of the gospel so that we can know, you know what, I need to avoid that. I need to make sure my family avoids that. I need to be careful that that doesn't infiltrate our church through through things that I might propagate because I've heard this and I might repeat it or encourage people to, to, to follow this. How diligent we need to be as individual believers and as a church that we guard our hearts and minds with the truth of the gospel. Because there's an implication here for us today. Yes, we need to avoid these kinds of people and these kinds of institutions, but there's an implication for us today that we had better not become like them. And we could easily do so. Because we're not, we're not any better than, than any other person. We still sin, don't we? We still struggle with the sin issue. We still struggle with temptation. We still struggle with misplaced priorities, right? When we misplace our priorities and we say, oh no, pursuing this is more important than than actually allowing God's Word to talk to me today before I go about my business, before I 
stop and pray. I'm going to try to fix this problem myself. Before I ask for God's direction, I'm going to try to put my wisdom to work here. Well, that'd be okay as long as you're informed by God's Word faithfully, taking steps of obedience to pursue God's truth. The implication for us is that we had better guard our hearts and we had better guard our minds from becoming people that are described here in this passage like people who are so wrapped up in love of self that they compromise the truth to satisfy their own desires. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to compromise the truth so that you can be happy, you think? Happy? Satisfy your own desires? I'll tell you what, the answer to this, the way that we, the way that we overcome this, and it's not, there's no quick fix. But it's a faithful, day-by-day obedience in the direction that God has laid forth for us in His Word. And you guard your heart. You guard your heart this way. You guard your heart by getting into the Word. You guard your heart by saturating your heart and mind with the truths of Scripture so you know truth when you see it. You know falsehoods when you see it. You guard your heart by continually, too, checking your heart against what God's Word says. Checking your own attitudes Regularly going to God's Word to keep yourself in check, whether you're loving yourself over God, and that displays itself in many ways, whether you're putting your hope and trust in your physical resources, your money, rather than trusting God. And I'm not suggesting that we chuck all of our savings accounts and say, well, I don't need money. I'm going to sell everything and live off the land and go live out in the field and let God provide for me. No, that's not what we're suggesting, right? Provide for your family. Work, be diligent, save, invest, but do so for God's glory, right? Do so for God's glory. Do it with the right attitude. Pursue those things with the right purpose. Be careful. Examine your heart and do it with the Scriptures. Let God's Word examine your heart. Are you pursuing financial gain to soothe your itch, You know, to satisfy your desires? Loving money over trusting God's provision for you. Uh, checking your heart with God's Word over whether or not you're becoming proud. You know, we can do this spiritually. One of the things I struggle with as I looked at this passage today and prepared to preach today is that, that I want to guard our hearts become, over going, going to the Word and going, huh, look at them. Look at them described. That's not me, that's them. Be very careful. Guard your heart that you don't become so spiritually proud that you say, oh, that'll never be me. Could easily be us. We could easily depart from the truth of Scripture and deny the authority of the Word in our lives. Guard your heart with the Word. Ask the Spirit to help keep your eyes focused on the truth of His Word and help you understand and examine your own life. Watch, watch your heart that it's not becoming arrogant, but, but use the Word to help correct your thinking and expose the light of God's Word on your heart. Guard your heart that you're not becoming ungrateful, unthankful. Ask for, ask for eyes that are wide open, spiritual eyes, physical eyes that are wide open to the many blessings God has given you. Ask God to help you not become an unholy person, just so so saturated with the world that you can't be any spiritual good. That you're living so, so worldly that you, that you come to church and you carry your Bible, but but on the... On the outside, you look like a believer, but on the inside, you're lost. Ask God to guard your heart. 
Ask God to examine your heart with His Word. Make sure you come before Him and ask Him to help you yield to His Word because you, you might become unyielding. And this is a real challenge to us who have been in a church for many years. I've been in a church all my life. And some of you have been in church all your life. And some of you have heard the things that I'm preaching today. I'm not telling you anything new. And there might come a day when you say, Woof, you know, I've heard that. I don't need that instruction today. I'm, I've already been there. I've already done that. I've got the T-shirt. I'm okay. Right? We never arrive. Not this side of heaven. We never, we never stop needing God's instruction and God's correction in our hearts. Yield. Don't allow yourself to become unyielding. Ask God to help you. Don't become slanderous of others. It's going to get difficult at times. There are going to be days when it's difficult. There are going to be days when you're misrepresented because you are living the truth of the gospel. Don't become slanderous of them. You turn the other cheek. You go the extra mile for God's glory, right? Not your own. Oh, how the church needs this. Oh, how God's people need this instruction. Don't lack self-control. I'm suggesting that you give up everything you enjoy. But sometimes it's good for us to deny ourselves something we do enjoy. I drove past Dairy Queen the other day. (laughs) But my family will tell you I promptly came home and got the ice cream out of the freezer. I'm making light of that, but it's a serious thing. God expects us to deny ourselves. I'm not suggesting that we become you know, self-flagellators where we go around and whipping ourselves. What was the last thing you denied yourself, even though it would have been okay? I'm not going to have that today. I'm just going to practice self-denial so that I grow in spirituality, so, so I become stronger in that when I am tempted to do the thing that's wrong, I can say, I don't need that. I'm not going to do that because I've practiced self-denial. Sometimes we can lack self-control and be overcome with the things of this world and just do willy-nilly whatever we want at the same time carrying around our Bibles and going to church and we're dishonoring the Gospel. Yielding to God in every area of your life. That's what God wants of us so that we don't become these individuals that we're talked about in the passage today. Yielding to God at every turn. And that's the only way that we're going to remain strong as God's church until the day He returns. That's the only way that we're going to remain strong in our testimony and our walk with Christ so that when people look at us, they say, what is it that makes you different? You can say, it's Jesus Christ and His Word. It's not me. It's God's gracious work in my heart helping me become more and more like Christ in the way I live. And remember the purpose for which we live this way. Don't ever forget the purpose for which we examine ourselves and guard ourselves from becoming false professors of faith. Imposters who are, who are looking like believers but are imposters. Remember the purpose for remaining strong is so that we will be people who are very clear in living for the Lord Jesus Christ, who aren't afraid to tell others so, and whose lives evidence the work of God in them because they are being conformed to Christ's likeness. The purpose is to lead people away from false truths. The purpose is to lead people to the truth of the gospel. 
And so the purpose for living the examined life that's completely saturated with God's Word and completely yielded to God's Word in every way is to have a life that is powerful and effective for the Gospel so that others will experience the safe life change, same life-changing message that you have experienced. You know, leading people away from the truth isn't hard. Jesus Himself said it. Leading people away from the truth isn't hard. It's going to be hard hard work for us to point people to the straight and the narrow. Jesus said in Matthew 7.13, and those who enter by it, talking about the way to destruction, being wide and easy. Remember, the way to destruction is wide and easy, he says in Matthew 7.13, and those who enter by it are many. Are many. And he says in verse 14 that the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. And I'm pleading with you today, and I'm challenging and encouraging you today to be numbered among those who are diligently serving God with their whole lives, saturated with the Word, yielded to God's work in you and and His Spirit in you, so that you are numbered among those who are pointing people to the to the straight and the narrow gate and not leading them to the easy and wide way. We want to be a powerful and effective church for God's glory until He returns. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I pray this morning that you would guard our hearts even as we've looked at this passage this morning. It would be so easy for us to have a so-called holier-than-thou attitude. That's not me. I'm so glad that's not me. God, I pray, examine our hearts. You know where we're weak. You know where we are rebellious. You know where we stray from your word. God, you know my heart, and I pray and I ask for your guidance and your wisdom and your strength and your admonition, your correction, your help. I pray it for your people here today too, Lord. I pray that each each of your children here today would be yielded before you as we're praying, asking you to, to guide us and direct our thinking and to direct our steps the way that we live and then to open doors of opportunity for people to see that we... Yes, we're flawed, but yet we, we're forgiven and, and, and we take steps of obedience and we fail at times and we disobey and yet we, we get back up and we confess our sin and we get right with God. And they see us growing. Open those doors of opportunity for people to see us becoming more and more like Christ in our obedience so that we might be able to share the love and truth of the gospel, the love of God through the Lord Jesus Christ sharing with them their their opportunity to confess their sin, to be born again, to be given new life, so that they might be living in accordance with God's Word and truly finding real satisfaction and real joy and real pleasure as we await Christ's return. God, help us to grow in these things as a church, becoming more and more obedient as each day passes for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.